Hello, everyone, and welcome to another American Scouser podcast on this Thursday. And as Chris Strain would call it, St. Patty's Day, uh, we, <laughs> we are together. Uh, I'm your host, Timuchin, uh, and we uh, found the only sober Irish guy, probably. Uh, that's why probably Gally isn't here. Uh, Jamie actually has an anniversary as well, so happy anniversary to Jamie and the wifey. Uh, but we found a sober Irish guy on the St. Patrick's Day. Chris Strain, what's happening? How's it going, boys? <laughs> <laughs> full, on, full on leprechaun for Paddy's Day. <laughs> no, no, good voice. Take that easy. Yeah, well, s- slightly sober, I guess. Uh, and also with us <laughs> is Scott. Scott, what's happening? Uh, is nothing much. Just happy to be here on yet another Thursday with you lads. Yeah, man, I know as I was watching the game yesterday, I was hoping for a happy podcast and happy podcast it is. It is down to one point in the league. We win what I considered actually like when I was looking at the schedule, one of our toughest games left, especially with an inform Arsenal. And I know we normally have our way with Arsenal, but they've been playing a lot better. I mean, even yesterday you could kind of tell that Arteta is doing some stuff right over there. Oh, yeah. They have a lot of talent as that young the young core gets better and better. I think if, with a couple of pieces, they're going to be even a better team next year, especially if we, and looks like they might make it to the Champions League and stuff. We'll talk a little bit about that, and then we'll look towards the weekend. I also wanted to cover, honestly, most of the talking points to me were based on what Klopp was saying after the game. So I want to kind of like go and touch up on a lot of that stuff. But let's start with the game. Uh, let's start with the lineup. I think, Chris, I want to start with you on this one. I felt like, I mean, it's, like I say, one of the toughest games left, one of the most important games. Every game is a final, as Klopp says, but this was probably the best lineup we could throw out there knowing Salah only practiced one day, right? Yeah, I I mean, that's kind of what I was hoping for. I I wasn't actually expecting to see Salah in the lineup at all. Um, I kind of thought maybe there was was reason to rest him, maybe, but... Um, yeah, I mean, I was kind of happy with that lineup. My only hope was that Mane uh, would be on the right-hand side. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, which was weird because NBC apparently couldn't figure that out because when they put the lineup, <laughs> Mane was on the left. But uh, what do you make of that lineup there, Scott? Yeah, I was I was pleased with it. I was pleased because... I think that a lot of the uh, lead up to this game was will Salah be fit and will will he be able to play? And I think there was, you know, two answers to that. Yes, he was fit and able to play and Klopp trusted the rest of his squad to be able to not play him for a full match and trust the other, you know, forwards to get the job done. And, you know, we'll, we'll get more into the match later on, obviously. But, you know, I was very pleased to see the fact that we were able to start key players and as a fan base feel confident in the team, even though Salah was not in that starting 11. Yeah, I mean, that was like one of the things, right? Like you watch, you look at the lineup, you're like, that's a pretty solid lineup. And then, you know you're ahead and you're putting subs in. I mean, we've come a long way when you had a really strong 11 out there 
and off the bench comes Mo and Bobby, which, you know, like a year or two ago would be like a what? Like, you know, it would be like a dream uh, to have those guys actually be able to come off the bench and have the lead against Arsenal. But the first half, obviously not as good. Uh the first couple of minutes started like ridiculous, but like once Arsenal settled down, especially like with the wings and Saka and Martinelli, they kind of gave us a tough time. The first half was, I would literally give it, I mean, if it's like a boxing match, I would probably give the edge to Arsenal overall. Even though at the end, when you looked at the numbers, like possession and all that kind of stuff, like you looked at the stats at halftime, it looked pretty darn even, but I would have probably given the edge to Arsenal overall. Why do you think... Chris, it turned out that way in the first half. Um, I just think Arsenal be, Arsenal came very prepared. Um, they they did their homework. They blocked off those little channels that we like to pass into. Um, we we just weren't up to speed, and we weren't moving the ball quick enough. Um, and then when we did get up into the you know that final third and trying to get that ball in, the amount of times that uh, Henderson or Trent had. The opportunity to whip that first ball in and opted to stop and play the pass and then by the time that pass came in there was eight nine arsenal players in the box so yeah they, they were super organized um they were hitting us on the break they, they were doing a good job of that and um yeah i mean arsenal have been quietly putting a, a decent a decent season together uh, i've said that for a while now and they're just sneaking up there <laughs> under the radar and they could actually st- Steal third place from Chelsea, um, yeah, you know right. they're, they're they're in with a shout. So um, yeah, I mean that's that's an organised team, and, and with the right sort of players, maybe some more help in the defence and and a bit more um, beef in the in the midfield to help out sort of party on that. I think um, they'll be a, they'll be a decent team next year. But yeah, it's it's kind of what I expected. Um, I expected us to play a bit better, but obviously the second half you saw what happened and. The rest is history. Mm-hmm. And that's weird. I mean, I don't know, Scott, if you wanted to, I kind of wanted to focus more on halftime on like what we did moving forward. I don't know if you had any thoughts on the first half. Like, what did you think before we come? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think just real quick, I think that both teams' strengths were the other team's weaknesses. So, so for example, our outside backs love bombing forward and Clearly, especially after looking at the game in hindsight, Arsenal's greatest attack is across high on their wings, looking for that long ball down the wing. So it plays into our weakness. More so, Arsenal's greatest weakness is they play the ball maybe one or two passes too much in the back, and we then took advantage on that in the second half. So I, I think that both teams were very even keel in terms of their positives and negatives. I do think that, like you said, Arsenal may have just slightly tipped the you know uh, seesaw into their favor on who I believe played better personally in the first half. But you go in halftime at 0-0, it's all to play for the second half on the changes you make. And that's the thing. That was like the weird thing. Like, listen to Klopp after the game. You know, we kind of assume when the team plays, you know, not as good as they should or there's like some like key mistakes being made and stuff like that you know when we chat amongst ourselves it's almost like oh Klopp's gonna let him have it and stuff like that I don't know if you caught it Chris but Klopp was talking about how that is never needed for this team 
And it sounded like purely based on the number of leaders that are in there. There's like a ton of guys in there that are leaders on this team. And when they're not leaders on this team, they're like the captains of their national team and stuff like that. And it sounded like it was more about showing a few technical things and saying, you guys know what needs to be done rest of the way. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you, the, I think the commentators kind of touched on it. And they um, they were talking about how early Klopp was back out and the players were back out. And I think it was very much a case of, of Klopp probably just going in and just looking at them all and going, what the hell? <laughs> and then just walking out. And them all just sort of looking at each other and going, all right, lads, we need to get our shit together. You know? Um, so, yeah, I think you're right. You know, you've got you've got Robbo, who's a, who's a captain. Um, of Scotland, you've got Hendo, who's who's always knocking on the door of the captaincy of, of England. Um, you know, you've got um, Virgil, who's you know with with the Netherlands and stuff. So um, you've got Mo. I think is he the captain of Egypt? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, yeah, not, sure, I'm not sure. Um, but I mean, if he's not, he's probably knocking on the door. Sadio's <laughs> probably knock knocking on the door of of Senegal as well. So you know, they're all leaders in their own right, and um, and I think. They kind of knew themselves what they needed to do, you know, and um, yeah, they got out there and they did it. I mean, a couple of minutes into the into the second half, and Handel puts a great ball through for Sadio, who was just offside. But yeah. I think that showed us showed our intention, uh, and we kind of followed up from that. Yeah, Chris, yeah, I, I thought it was actually uh, yeah. it was interesting. I don't, I don't know if you guys heard the commentators say they said that Jurgen Klopp was was out from the halftime talk very early, well before the team came out onto the pitch for the second yeah. half. He So, you know, I, I'm sure that he obviously has important things to say based on tactics and movement and formation and things like that. But when it comes to the mentality of the team, I think that he trusts the players to intrinsically feel that push to go and get the game. He can do it himself and he can yell and he can, you know, bat his chest all he wants. But at the end of the day, it's the players that are there to play and, and they need to take it from the, you know, their own heart and their own mentality to get the job done. And I think, you know, the yelling and screaming thing, you know, if that's what it's going to take all the time, that does not bother well. That's why you have certain managers that like are, they have like a shelf life almost, you know, like two <laughs> years and then they're gone. And I think that's mainly because of that style as well. And I think, yeah, I mean, he mentioned that the team, he's never needed that and he said with the squad and i'm assuming that's mainly because of the leaders and i'm sure they talked about because if you notice in the second half like chris was talking about earlier about you know not being able to pass between the lines and with some like additional movement because there was not a lot of movement and i thought that was like one of the biggest problems in the first half there was a lot more even in the goal you can kind of see mane's run kind of open up that channel yeah, to be able to sure. get that pass pass to jota of course, that is a beautiful assist. But right before that, and he kind of like jokingly talked about <laughs> it after the game, he almost has an assist over to Arsenal. I mean, it's a. I think he literally didn't see Lacazette from Van Dijk because <laughs> Van Dijk was blocking the view. That's right. Body, and, you know, like we kind of get away with that one. And I think that once again shows how important like Alisson is to this team and having a goalie like that back there, who's going to make those saves. Uh, I was actually listening to on Sky Sports. It was like Neville actually was talking about 
how like you know in the teams everybody on the team appreciates it you know once the title is won or once the game is won not a lot of fans will remember that but everybody on that defense and everyone on that squad knows and appreciates that save in terms of like you know keeping you in the game in eventually basically helping you win the game so we but- get that um BJ says no goals by Arsenal in 605 minutes. <laughs> I would question that, but he's such a numbers nerd. I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> well, to, to continue on with, you know, the Allison point, I mean, you, we, we can talk about, you know, Arsenal playing a great game. And, and the reality is, is that Allison really did not have too much to do during that game. And, and the fact is that he was on it. He was mentally prepared to come up with an absolutely mammoth save and you know bail out tiago and and you know that that gives that foundation for us to go and go again and i think yeah like i say it kind of gets overlooked sometimes those little saves and stuff like after the game you know most people will talk about the you know the goals the passes and all that kind of stuff more like the scoring moments and obviously like some very deserved like with bobby and stuff like that but uh those sometimes get forgotten so let's right after the goal i mean as the goal was coming we were already pushing it but you knew we were gonna go all in because any game we have to win that's how the league is which we'll talk about later chris are you shocked that Despite the goal, Jota comes right off just as planned, regardless of the outcome of his last touch. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I'm not. I'm not kind of surprised by it at all. Um, I mean, they were literally about to make the substitution. I mean, they were on the sideline, um, and it just so happened that Thiago put that ball through, and, and Jota put it in the back of the net. So I, I, I don't think it makes any difference whatsoever because even though we got the goal, whatever was happening. Before then, Klopp wasn't liking it, um, and we just happened to get maybe we just happened to get lucky in that moment. Um, and and I think you made a good point um, about Sadio's run. Um, just that little step inside to make that run through the channel and and to pull Ben White just to turn his head enough to give Jota that space and 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 also Thiago looking at Mane because Ben White's watching Thiago. Yes, and he's sort of looking out of the corner of his eye at Jota and Mane, and he's looking at what what Thiago's doing. Thiago's looking straight at Mane. Mane makes the run. Thiago goes to play the ball, looking at Mane, and no looks at to Thiago, uh, to Diogo Jota. Mm-hmm. So the the whole combination of the whole thing, that triangle of players, and how they they sort of interact with each other and confuse the defender, um, it, it was beautiful. Yeah, Matush says if only Thiago was Premier League quality. <laughs> yeah, we, we do have some people who do not understand uh, his quality and things they're doing. Dave Leslie says Arsenal were more prepared defensively, even though occasionally they had some overplayed attacking moments, which cost them a few genuine chances, which they did. Yeah. But I felt, I mean, you look at the last couple of years, Arsenal, I mean, they have really come a long way. So got to give him that credit there. And I think they did give us a tougher time than, I guess, usual. But when Arsenal gives you a tough time, you put in Bobby, who just <laughs> loves an Arsenal game. I mean, as he was warming up and stuff, and, you know, like, you know, as we were, like, kind of, like, talking about the game, I mean, I think that was one of the things, you know, like, we were expecting Bobby to probably make an appearance in this game. And obviously, Mo, knowing if he's on the bench, 
he will come in in case of an emergency break glass kind of a situation. And so both of them come in and we definitely missed Bobby, didn't we, Chris? I mean, um, what he brings, I know most don't see it, kind of like how they don't see Thiago's quality, but I mean, <laughs> what he brings is unreal. Bobby Firmino is, is my favorite player ever to play for this club. Ever? Uh, uh, yes. Ever. Really? Um, okay. Yeah. Um, the stuff that Bobby Firmino does, um, he's the most selfless player on the planet. I've never seen a player that just gives for everyone else all the time. Even when he's not playing well, he's still tracking back. He's still trying to do it. But coming in against Arsenal, that was the Bobby we know and love, where he's just in there. He's everywhere. He's dragging defenders all over the place and, and just making the make. It, it's almost as if when he's in that mood, it's so easy for him. Like, you've seen with that goal, even before, like, he made the run, he pointed to Robbo before Robbo even just played that ball and he was, like, right there. And everybody saw him point, even the goalkeeper, and he just stepped in and just that touch, my God, just that guy. I, If you think I love Joel Matip, <laughs> and you know how much I love Joel Matip, multiply we all that. love Joel Matip. Multiply that by a thousand, and you're not even close to Bobby Firmino. I love that man. Yeah, I mean, I think the selflessness is the biggest thing. And you can tell his teammates appreciate it. You know, in terms of, like, that goal celebration, I mean, it was great to see him. And I'm sure he was, like, frustrated with all the injury and stuff like that. That was great to watch. But watching his teammates' reaction to that, I think, makes it even more special. So... Yeah. I guess here's the tricky question here. Oh, can I just jump in quickly? Shoot. I just want to talk about something. Just in the replay, I was watching over the replay today, and I watched the goal, and I watched it so many times, and there was something I noticed in the replay. Bobby had jumped the thing, and they were all running, and all the players had come over, and Hendo was pushing everybody back. And as the camera panned around, now everybody talks about Mane and Mo and how they're selfish, and they don't really celebrate other players and blah, blah, blah. When Bobby had run over, as the camera panned round, Mo was just standing watching Bobby with the biggest smile I've ever seen. And I just went, that right there. That's what it's about. That's what this team's about. And everybody can talk about the rifts between players and who likes who and who's happy to get this and that and there. That picture right there just proves it. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you are going to have that. I mean, who has been in a group of, I don't know, like 20 to 30 people and loved everybody? You know, you're going to yeah. you might, you know, you're going to have some working relationships with a lot of people and you're going to enjoy. But then ultimately, you're going to be able to work with a lot of people. And that's what matters. And, yeah, obviously, you're going to like some more than others. I just noticed as I watched. I, I reckon Robo could be a little bit annoying. <laughs> Especially if you barely understand English, then they're just looking at him. Yeah, no, he just got that. That that he's just one of those guys, you know. But I, I just like there's probably guys in the squad that are like, I can't fucking stand him. <laughs> Speaking of like language issues, I heard like Klopp talking about how Diaz's like best mate on the team is Elliot, and I was like, yeah. and he was even like, I don't know how they communicate. I don't know how the hell happens, and I know like to a. I know probably not to an American as much. Uh, you can probably talk about this guy more than me, but in terms of like some of the different accents in England. But I remember like, you know, when I first went to college and I went to an American high school in Turkey, 
Uh, so more used to like the American, I mean, like our teachers mm -hmm. were American and stuff like that. You might have a couple of British, but like, you know, old school British, like very, very British, if you will. And um, <laughs> when I went to college in London, one of my best buddies was Daniel, who was from like Liverpool. And man, that dude, I remember like the first two days, it was like, bro, slow down because I'm not understanding a word you say. And then you kind of like get used to it after a while. I'd go for summer, come back, and it was like, hey, back to square one, slow down because I got to get used to this accent and stuff. Do you yeah, find that sure. difficult it's, at I mean, times, Scott? It's for, forget understanding the language, right? So, you know, if you don't know how to speak English, then you, you have no shot. Yeah. You <laughs> but even if you... Even if you do speak the language, even if you're fluent, like for example, Tiago comes in, I'm sure for the first two months, Tiago and Trent didn't say a word to each other because Tiago is <laughs> probably fearful of saying anything to Trent on any sort of response. He just wouldn't get what was being said. <laughs> it could have been worse. He could have been speaking the Kara. Yeah. <laughs> Dave Lennon says Bobby does Bobby things that no one else does selfless and unique goals and he is man I mean I love him too I don't know if the favorite thing is a tough one definitely one of the best like the players I love the most and I think it goes back to that selflessness is part of it and I find myself liking these players that are somehow somehow I have to say are underappreciated a lot more like Hendo, like Bobby. Cause I feel so, like. So Chris, to, to continue kind of what, what you were saying personally, my, my favorite player uh, is, is Dirk Kout. I love Dirk Kout growing, Dude. you know, growing up and, and Dirk was my, my all time favorite player. And still to this day, I cannot speak enough good about Dirk. I but, think Bobby is, is the current Dirk on this team without a doubt. Dude, I just have to say, and, and some other people here that have been in the podcast or have chatted before, before Bobby came along, Dirk Kite was my man. So, yeah, um, yeah because that, that's the thing. Bobby has that Dirk Kite work ethic. But, Without a doubt. But, but the Robbie Fodder skills ability, <laughs> you know what I mean? So he's, he's kind of he's those two people meshed into one with Causey's right. teeth. And I think yeah, it's kind of like that's built into the player too. I mean, quite afterwards went and played. Craig Johnson's Adam. actually a great shot. Sorry, I just had to jump oh, in there. Craig Spar Johnson, Sparky yeah. Parky. Craig Johnson's a great shot. <laughs> and, but and quite afterwards went and played for Fenerbahce in Turkey. You know, like my yeah. hometown club. Yeah, and it was the same dude. Like you know, do everything for the team, even if even on a bad day, even if he was on a bad day, you could never question the effort. And I think yeah. those players get the love. I they honestly ultimately deserve well look at what happened when he went back to holland you know yeah scoring yeah, scoring wins, the winning goal the winning league. goal to win the league you know so yeah mad respect and, to that man yeah and to mention to what you said you know, I mean these these affinities to these players that you know are are just the hardest of workers like bobby and i i don't think that other fan bases really truly appreciate their hard workers like Liverpool fans do. And I think that either has to do with the community and has to do with the fan base. Just the, the players that dig their feet in and work extra hard for their team and maybe don't get the accolades or the goals or the statistics that their teammates do, but you can notice that they make a visual difference and, and a clear, consistent difference in the team when they're on the field. I think that Liverpool fans specifically really, really appreciate and love 
I think so. I mean, you can probably talk to this a lot more, Chris. I mean, being more of a blue collar town and the club of the blue collar town, I think that work rate gets appreciated more, perhaps, compared to if you did it on, I don't know, for example, PSG or somewhere. Or Chelsea. <laughs> or Chelsea. <laughs> for sure, man. I mean, here's the thing. Me growing up, I, I, was, I switched between being a goalkeeper and a striker. Um, I like the, the psychology of them both, and I love to learn about them both, and it kind of gives you advantages in both sides, playing both positions. Um, and playing as a striker and being sort of a taller and bigger guy, I kind of got pushed sort of into that target man role, um, especially in high school, because I was like six foot two from like I was 12 years old. <laughs> you know, so stick Peter Crouch up there in first year, you know. Um, so that that was kind of my role there. So I kind of understand a little bit and the amount of work and that, that Bobby brings to that position because he's that target. He's he's a number eight, a number 10, a number nine, a false nine. Uh, you know, he's everything in one. He does absolutely everything and he does it all well. There's not another striker in the league can track back like Bobby Firmino. So then let's answer some tough questions over here. There is. Let's start man. with you. So in a must-win game, which, I mean, in some ways, every game is a must-win game right now based on what we have left. We lost the one that we could afford to lose last week and got that out of the way, I guess, Inter. Yeah. Uh, but let's say everybody is well-rested and you're starting an 11. Who is your front three right now? Oof. <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to jump in. I'm going to jump in. Based on form, based solely on form and what I've seen over the last couple of games, uh, Mo on the right, Jota on the middle, Diaz on the left. Really? See, I am yeah. actually shocked to hear that. So you're, you're thinking like... You know, Dom is talking about you know like this uh, the city game, for example, where he thinks it will be Bobby, um, like starting against City, which I agree, by the way. Um, but yeah, that's like that's interesting that you went with Diaz. Um, if it's if it's the city game, no, if it's the city game, it's Mo Bobby money if they're all if they're all fit. Oh yeah, that's what I mean. Like your ideal, like if it's a final or whatever it is, you gotta put your if if the there. if the Champions League final is is tomorrow and everybody's fit everybody's rested raring to go i do mo bobby and and mane and the reason is the just the consistency that they have playing with each other tried and trusted and the ability that we've seen for uh, diogo and diaz to come in and truly make a difference i really do think that the original front three is still the best front for you personally my maybe i'm biased but you know i love them and that's so what much. i was gonna ask is that bias because you know more familiarity right and and maybe we just have an affinity to them and, and we've become so used to their dominance but clearly it has worked in the past and you can't say that any of the three have you know depreciated in their skill set or their work rate one or the other. I think that both all, all three players are running just as much each game as they were, you know, in the 17-18 season when they all scored a boatload of goals. Yeah, I, I have to agree with Bickler on the Bobby strengthening the midfield in the way Jota can't. But 
Bobby's just coming back. Yes, he looked good there against Arsenal for about 20 minutes. Um, let's give him a couple of games. I'm sure he's probably going to start against Forrest um, and absolutely annihilate those boys. Um, so, yeah, I mean, again, if it's a, if it's a fit... If it's a fit Bobby, he's he's my first choice for that false nine every single time. Yeah, Bickler says Bobby strengthens the midfield in a way Jota can't. Jota leads yeah. the front line with energy off the bench in a way Bobby doesn't. And I think that's yeah. well put. I hate to agree with Bickler, but uh, yeah, <laughs> he, he is right on that one. Where I think if you know, you're picking somebody to bring something new, I know this game doesn't show that because Bobby came in off the bench and made a huge difference, but I think in general, I think I want Bobby out there first. To be able to just toy with those center backs and pull them all over the place, if nothing else, because I yeah. think that's enough usually to create space. And I think familiarity might go for us, like you know we were saying with Scott, but I think that also goes with those three as well. The interplay, uh, the way they yeah. move off of each other and stuff like that. Familiarity pays off in that way. I mean, it's been amazing how Diaz been able to fit in but I think yep. so you still can't replace the chemistry of doing it over and over and over again, like together. So, so the other, so the goal comes through and I think it was kind of like cruise control. I was able to lean back and all that kind of stuff. Stitch got the <laughs> snack. So it was kind of like happy sailing rest of the way. I know they had that chance to make it two one, but it felt like we kind of controlled it. So a couple of ish things I want to talk about. One of them was with this front three. The other one was obviously Trent. Because uh, Klopp, I mean, he was asked, uh, I think he was asked, or I don't know if he offered it himself, but if anybody says Trent cannot defend, they should come to me, I'll knock them down. So I definitely don't want to take Klopp on. <laughs> do you want to take Klopp on, Chris? I mean, what do you rank him at? I mean, I thought, I mean, he was left on an island at times in Martinelli, and he did struggle at those times. Whenever he did have Hando, I thought they worked it well. And that was probably one of the things I knew that was one of the things that Hendo was getting yelled at in the first half because he wasn't tracking back enough to assist Trent. But where do you put him in terms of like defensive? Here's the thing. We all know that Trent isn't the, the greatest defensively. Okay. Um, what he is getting better at. And it's a similar thing that, that Carragher used to have. He never had the size and he never had the speed, but he was very good positionally. And, you know, because Trent likes to bomb forward, there's always maybe somebody like Hendo or Fabinho dropping back into that space. And um, and I think what's happening with those guys dropping into that space, it's it's teaching Trent that's the space he needs to be in. Um, but do anybody that's given him hassle about that, that performance against Arsenal, um, do me a favour, go back and watch Arsenal's games where Martinelli's played on the left-hand side and show me a, a right-back in the league that's been able to handle Martinelli the way that Trent did last night. Yeah. You won't find one. I think because he has them uh, tortured. It wouldn't be fair to judge him on that. And I thought, you know, apart from a few situations, he did do well overall. Cause yeah, Martin is good stuff. Um yeah. but I think the only issue I have with Trent overall when he works defensive and I talked about on Monday's pod before is he almost feels like he baits people to force a pass down the line. <laughs> Yeah. And but then doesn't intercept it, and it's just like, bro, you were like, you were baiting that, you know, you gotta be able to cut it off. And I think when he does that, is when he gets in trouble because he was baiting it and he couldn't stop it. Now the ball is gone and he's playing catch up. I think that's when he gets in trouble. Otherwise, I 
think overall, I would not consider him a bad defender by any means. No. I think it just goes overshadowed because he's so good pushing forward. Right, Scott? Yeah, I mean, that's that's an excellent, excellent point. I think that he is so elite going forward that when you see some sort of deficiency in his game, fans will go ahead and point that out as basically any sort of rationale to diminish his you know, status. I think that naturally Liverpool's formation will create those times where he is going to be one-on-one with a winger and going running back towards his own net. Um, Martinelli is incredibly fast in short sprints, and, and we saw that. But did he score? Did he assist? Did he get a shot on net? I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, is that Trent is up to stuff as a Premier League defender and an elite player going forward. I, th- I don't think that people's criticism to say that he is not a good defender as a whole, putting him in the echelon of maybe a Harry Maguire is complete rubbish. <laughs> yeah, Can I just jump no. in and, you, and, and just jump in on something there? Um, you just pointed about the, him being an elite player going forward. We're such an elite team and we win so often. We, we very rarely lose. So when something goes bad in a game that we win 3-0, we look for it because yeah. we don't really have that many bad things. So when one bad thing happens and maybe we give up a goal for the first time in like seven games, everybody's <laughs> like, oh my God, panic attack, uh, meltdown. It's like, yeah. look, leave the kid alone. He's doing a great job. And we got a clean sheet, so it wasn't even letting up a goal. We let exactly. up a goal-scoring opportunity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that's the thing. Dom Smith says, and I think this is a great analogy, actually. Trent is the modern-day Danny Alves. Can't remember anyone slating his defending. And I think yeah, I agree. Oh, I did. Uh, I did. <laughs> you did? Uh, I man, did. I slated his defending. <laughs> In his day, yeah, when he was for him, I mean, he was deadly on that right-hand side. And the that's only difference the is he I had pace. And part of it is, you know, this is the system we play. I think sometimes the critics of um, Trent don't understand that that's kind of like what is expected of him, like in terms of, you know, pushing up and stuff. I mean, you can't be at two plays at the same time. You can't have him making an assist from the corner of the box and then expect him to be the back somehow at the same time, which is part of the, the system. But And I feel like, you know, if we're going to have an issue with our backs, even though they both push up, I feel like with Trent, it's always he's up too far and the ball goes behind him. And if you have an issue ever with Robo, it's because he's messing up the line. So, and he's like a bit too far back, messing up the line slightly. And honestly, like there are a lot of times where like he sweeps across and like does like a clearance, which I actually, not this game, because this game he actually, he had a couple of really key defensive moves. Uh, yeah. But sometimes Robo does those defensive plays because he had a leg up, first of all, because he was a step behind everybody else. And, you know, <laughs> his speed helps kind of like recover his bad positioning. But uh, so why do you think the criticism then? Is it just nitpicking like you were saying, Chris? Or is it just fans or like yeah. is it like mostly English fans trying to kind of like nitpick something? It's it's just people nitpicking. And I think the, the English media as well, when it comes to the England team, you know, they, they, they do this whole comparison thing. Who's the better right back? Is it Reese James? Is it him? Is it somebody else? You know, who is it? And, and here's the thing. I, I think uh, as far as defensively, uh, Wan-Bissaka and, 
and um, Reese James are probably just slightly better than Trent, but Trent gives you so much going forward that it completely eclipses what they can bring. And his, his ability going forward is much, as, as Pickler said, it much outweighs the deficiencies that he has defensively. And I would have him on that right-hand side of any team ahead of any of those players. Because especially when you have a player, especially if we talk about England, and I hate England and I don't want to do this, but I have to say it, when you have players like Harry Kane, that type of striker that thrives off the type of ball that Trent Alexander puts into the box... <clears throat> Can you imagine the amount of goals that that Kane could be scoring for England? Those balls in behind for Vardy coming off the bench if he wasn't retired, or or any of the other strikers like with Sancho and Sterling and that you know, um, the ability that he has with that right foot and his left foot, his left foot is better than Reese James's right foot. You know what I mean? Like so, yeah. Um, I think it's nitpicking. I think everybody's always looking for a negative. It's it's just the way it is. Um, I like to look at the positives and um, all those people can figure out their arse. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, the ball he put through to Mane in like, basically like the last second yeah. of the oh. first half, and he had like a similar one right before. I mean, that is just like unreal. So, yep. having said that, Scott, now if this – do you foresee ever him pushing up to midfield – or some of these passes that comes from him is because of his positioning. Whereas, I mean, I personally think he would not be as effective with that kind of passing as a midfielder. His positioning and being able to kind of like take that space that's in front of him kind of benefits it. So a lot of talk always has been, oh, he was a midfielder, you know, he'll go back to midfield and stuff like that. But I feel like he would not be as effective despite his passing and vision as a midfielder. I, I personally think that Trent has everything to be a, a fantastic midfielder. But we have a formation currently on both the quality of players around him and the style that we play that lets him flourish in the right back position. And I think that if we were to ever backtrack on our style of play um, in – five, six, you know, eight years from now. Yeah. Could we see him transition to a different player when he's maybe older, you know, in age and stuff like that? Sure. But the fact of the matter is we have a formation that lets him be the best right back in the world. There's no reason to switch him. There's, there's no reason to change the, because if we have the ability to have a Hendo or a Fabinho, these players track back and help him, in defensive situations and have the most elite outside back going forward, then by all means, there's no reason to switch that. Exactly. There's, there's a whole, there's a whole big sort of culmination of reasons. Um, You know, Sparky made a a great point there. He's like a false midfielder and it's, (laughs) it's similarly in the way Bobby falls back and becomes this extra midfielder. Trent pushes in and becomes the extra midfielder. And now, if you look at where he whips those balls in from diagonally and from the right, when you watch other teams, that's usually a midfielder doing that. And when the ball comes out, there's one less man in midfield to win that second ball. So all of these things, and the big thing we're about is recycling the ball, winning the second one and getting back there quickly. Trent allows us to do that because we have that extra man in the midfield 
to win that second ball yeah. when that cross comes in. So there's so many different things and, and, and reasons why. And there's no reason for him to be moved up there and to play Handel's. I mean, if Handel moved on, he could very, very, very easily play that role, you know, um, that Handel plays. But then we'd lose so much from that right back position. Yes. And I think that's the thing. It's just like if Faint broke kind of a deal. But um, yeah, I really think you kind of, he flourishes in that role because of the system, like Scott was saying. And it's, you know, kind of like has to be. So we are now a point behind. And you sent this to me earlier, Chris, so we can kind of yeah. like talk about it. So since the start of like 18, 19 season, the number of points, we are right behind Pep. Uh, three, three, 334 to 335, and it's like an amazing run. I, I saw like a conversation in one of the groups yesterday, and we were actually talking about this during the game with my wife yesterday, where, you know, it's just amazing where we're in a league right now where you cannot afford to even draw. Like, you have to win every game from the beginning of the season. I mean, I remember, I'm old enough to remember days where an away draw was not too shabby. Yeah. But now, Chris, that has gone. No. Um, it, it, well, here's the thing. Uh, away draws at the top of the table, unless you're playing the other six, you know, one of the top six, then it, it, away draws are, are, are a death sentence. Um, it, if you look at the, the seasons where we um, were just so close, the things that beat us were those away draws, those yeah. nil-nil draws away, uh, that that nightmare season of, of Rogers that took us to second place. It was the draws that beat us. You know, those away draws, that Crystal Palace match. And um You're yeah. giving me flashbacks. <laughs> I was gonna say yeah that was Dude, let's just not <laughs> let's not go there. Everybody knows the story about my honeymoon. So um yeah. But that's what I'm saying. It's it's those things that they make the difference. And um you know um yeah I just think the momentum is with us. And uh yeah the the way things are going, I mean, you know, we go, we both go away to, or we both play relegation fodder at the weekend here. Um, I would much rather be playing Watford, who are a much more open, wide team, than Hardcore Burnley, who will just come and kick lumps out of you. Um, I'm kind of <laughs> happy they're playing City right just before we play them. So hopefully, you know, Sean Dyche does his thing and uh, his players, you know, play their game and it's it's the Royal Rumble. <laughs> Yeah, like the top form of douche over there is I'm actually pretty hopeful from that game. Uh, Dom Smith, we've found, found another person as old as I am apparently, but it says much in a way draw was fine. It was two points for win. I remember those days too. I think that was like the best thing about the three-point thing because you couldn't have people just like settle for the draws. And I, that's why I really like yeah. the whole three-point system when it changed. Some people are like, what are you talking about? Yeah, it changed, people. It used to be two. But shut up, Scott. No <laughs> but anyway, but yeah, but even then, though, like ever since it's changed, before the city and our craze started, I mean, you could win the league. Look at the points that you used to take to yeah. win the league. Those yeah. are gone now. Like, we're talking 90s all yeah. the freaking time as a constant. That was like a crazy, legendary year before. And so does that make winning even more special, Scott, or does it bug you that if City didn't have all this shake money, Liverpool would be a dynasty right now in these last four or five years winning everything? Right. In in the you know the early 2000s, I think that Arsenal and United made their 
seasons on draws and and last minute pickup points just here or there and and their their uh totals at the end to win leagues were underwhelming compared to you know what Manchester City and Liverpool are putting up now and because of that i mean this this sort of race to perfection is exhausting i think for both players and fans i i i personally just get angry thinking about the fact that you know we we lost the league by one point to city after getting over 90 points and it, and to it's unheard of right it's absolutely unheard of yeah. to make those points and now that's the standard and it shows how elite the two teams have been over the last course of the five years but you know i think that personally and, and hopefully this season really changes my outlook i i think that how we've been playing We've deserved so many more trophies, and it's in no way our fault. You know, it we we've been playing how I expect teams to be playing, and by no means can a team be perfect every game. And I don't think Liverpool fans expect that, but it has definitely been hard to to kind of deal with being so close to perfection and then not winning yeah. titles. Yeah. How about you, Chris? Yeah, Sparky makes a great point there about it being an offensive game. Uh, the old games, it was super defensive, and, and even going away back into the 80s and stuff, where, you know, back passes, the goalkeeper could pick them up. It, it just made games so slow and so so defensive. And, and now, even when you look at the league, who's the only defensive manager in the league? Sean Dyke. Yeah. <laughs> You know, every other every other team plays some kind of form of, or they try to play some form of attacking football, with maybe the exception of United at the minute. But um, you know, so they don't even know. Nobody knows what they play. Yeah, yeah, you know, so the, you know, it's it's that style of game now. You know, Mourinho's not managing in the Premier League anymore because anti football doesn't work there anymore. You know, it's boring. The fans don't like it. You know, it doesn't sell. The sponsors don't like it. The players don't like it, you know. So, it, you know, it, we move on and everything has to evolve. Uh, and it is becoming that way where it's just boom, 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 boom. Attack, 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 you know. And, and I think we're intrinsic in that. And if you look at our team, when you look at Robertson and 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 Trent being like the top assisters in the league and their defenders, that's just proof of that, you know. So, yeah. Long may I continue, am I, I say? Yeah, I figured, you know, with international break coming up soon, we can probably do more of an analysis of the games left. I still feel like even though we have the momentum and we have the depth, this, despite what some people in the left American group might think, um, I still think we have a tougher schedule and I mean, pretty much have to be perfect moving forward to be able to like win it but we can probably like go through uh and like maybe like on next thursday's episode and kind of like look at the schedules and games one by one i kind of want to touch up on sunday's game real quick uh fa cup this is part of the quad over here we're trying to put together um i feel like the, the lineup is going to get a bit more tricky because we rotated very rarely we do this. First of all, we put the subs in earlier and we put them for the front line, both of them, instead of like the midfield where we most of the time do the substitutions. So what do you expect in terms of a lineup there, Chris? Uh, is it going to be like a League Cup-ish, mostly like a squad player kind of a deal? Which um, is not a bad lineup, but... 
Um, I'm just kind of having a look here. When's our next game after that? It's the Watford game, isn't it? Uh, we're going into the international break after that. Okay, uh, so... Because we I... are playing next game April 2nd after this one. Mind you, I just realized not only I have to suffer through Turkey taking on Portugal and Italy to be able to qualify for a World Cup while U.S. takes on El Salvador, so I don't know how life is there. <laughs> Uh, but I'm not even going to talk that, about Northern Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> aside from that, I realize Mo and Mane are going to be facing each other twice over that international yeah. break as well. Uh, so heading into the international break, do you kind of use what you have then? Is that your way of thinking? Uh, I think so. I mean, I mean, maybe there will be a couple of little swaps here and there. Um, possibly, I don't think Mo will play. I think it's just a case I give him a rest. He needs the rest anyway. If he's going to go without with Egypt, they expect him to play. So give him the rest in this game. I don't think we need him. Um, Forrest are a decent team, but I just don't think... With what we have in reserve now, you know, you, when you swap out Robertson for Chimikas, you know what I mean? And you're swapping out, you know, Matip for, for Kanate, and you're swapping out Henderson for Jones or Ox or Harvey. You know, it, it's we should be making easy work of a team like Forrest. And I think as well, Bobby gets the start. And I think he will be intrinsic in this win because I don't think they'll have been up against a player like that before. And he's very hard to prepare for. Um, and those defenders are going to be like, where did he go? Yeah, yeah that's a good point. A guy like Bobby is going to be very tricky to deal with compared to you know what they're used to dealing with in life championship. Yeah. How about you, Scott? What kind of a lineup are you? Yeah, I, that that was first of all a fantastic point. I, I think a player that matches both, you know, phys- the physical fitness that you know uh, Bobby puts out. I don't know if you guys saw there was a stat running around that uh, of the top six, Bobby has ran the most kilometers per ninety minutes of of any player in the top six. And, you know, it's a, it's a testament to both his physical abilities, but also his brains and, and just the, the mental aptitude that he has. Um, I think in terms of a, a team, I, I wouldn't be opposed to quite a few changes, um, but by no means do I think that that makes us a worse team. I think that players, like you yeah. said, for Kanate coming in for Matip or Simikas coming in for... Robo, you know, Jones going from not being on the bench to starting lineup as he's done every other game in the last month, uh, you know, is something that is a testament to this team in this depth. I think that we will see quite a few changes. I, I do like the shout of Mo getting a deserved rest, but still that puts a front free three of say Mane, Bobby and Diaz, right. Or, you know, Diaz, Bobby and, Give Taki, Taki, sport, Taki, Taki, you know, and and for, you know, it's a it's a cup. So Taki gets oh, his Bigler's you know, favorite diva. Sport. You don't want diva out there. Taki Minamino. <laughs> <laughs> like and and the 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 fact that we are able as a fan base now to kind of argue or disagree as to who can and cannot come into a game is a real testament to to how this club has created the infrastructure of this team. So score predictions, you guys, I mean, you guys know me, anybody who listens to the podcast know me that I worry as a lifestyle. I mean, I, my only, the only concern I would have on a game like this is the fact that when we make too many changes, sometimes there is some like disconnect that can kind of create issues, but I'm, 
I'm a lot more confident in that depth now and the quality of the depth that I don't think it will be an issue. What do you have for a score there, Chris? I actually think we're just going to romp them. I have a feeling it's just... See, that, whenever like, I do these podcasts with Chris, he's always like, oh, we got this. It's 5-1, yep. 5-0. And yep. then I don't have nails left like as I'm watching the game. So I don't know that works. No, I mean, well, that's the thing. When when you look at that, that performance against Arsenal, that first half performance, we're, we're going to go out against Forrest and we're going to be like, yo, we, we really need to sort of step this up here. I, I'm going 5-1 five. Five, with them going one nil up. This is why I like doing the pause with Chris. See, like at least tonight I'll be able to sleep, but then I I <laughs> curse his name throughout the game afterwards. That's a different story. So, Scott, what do you have? Uh, so I will give Forrest some credit. I do think that they have played incredibly well in the FA Cup specifically. Um, I know that they have a pretty good position in the championship right now, but specifically in the F- FA Cup coming against some big boys, um, they uh, they did quite well. Uh, that being said, the point that they have not experienced playing a team of the caliber of Liverpool is definitely something to be said. And I, I do think that we do will win comfortable, even with, yeah. you know, making making several changes. Um, I will say that I I wouldn't be surprised if Forrest get a goal. I will say that just with changes at the back and, you know, if we bring in a, a, a Gomez, that is, sorry, or, you know, Simikas, we may just have some disconnect that we saw when switching out an entire back line. But I'm going to go for a big 4-1. Well, that's that's why I said about the first goal. I, I, I think they're, they're going to be up for it. You know, they're playing technically, you know, the best or arguably the best team in the world right now. Mm-hmm. And they're going to come out and they're going to be like, okay, this is going to be like it was in, in back in the eighties and the seventies and eighties when it was Forest and Liverpool and they were the two best teams in Europe, um, and and they're going to be right up for it. But I think our, our just our intensity and the speed that we play, there's there's very few teams in the world that can keep up with us. And I think a championship team coming into this after the long season they've had, and they're going to continue to have. Um, they're going to struggle, and I think they might look good and they might have you nervous for about forty five minutes, Tim. But um, I think as we get past the R mark, they'll start to fade and we'll just start to pick them apart. <laughs> oh, so I'm still stressing the first hour out. Okay. Uh, Sparky says 2-1, so he really wants me to stress. Um, I feel I'm going to go with 4-1, which is very unlike me. Oh, I'm gonna have what? To say, but That's what I'm talking about. Hold on, hold on. Now. Can we just stop a wee second here? <laughs> Can we just stop? To mention, 4-1, really? I'm going with you're actually you're being optimistic for a team. <laughs> hey man, I, I it must be something in the water. But um, so I'm I'm kind of basing that on. I think it's going to be a good test for some of these players that are going to get even less opportunities now. With you know the front line getting deeper, I think it's a good you know for a guy like Taki. Uh, I. I hope we see Divac out there as well. I know he's going to be gone at the end of the year, which is going to be a I want to see Harvey yeah, I and Diaz. I want to see Harvey and Diaz because if they've got a friendship going, I want to see what kind of connection they have on the pitch because Harvey usually plays on the right and Diaz yep. is on the left. And Diaz likes to cut inside, and Harvey likes to cut in on his left foot. So there's going to be, there's intera- there's going to be interaction with those guys. And when you add Bobby to the mix, 
there's going to be magic. Man, I think it's just very exciting by itself. And despite all those who bitch Great about show. squad death, like, you know, the players were talking. Now, like I say, that was like the first thought, but I was like, wait, what is going on? It's like the 60th or 65th minutes, and we're trotting up Bobby and Mo. And if you're a defense <laughs> facing this team and, you know, like running around all over the place, and those are your rewards coming in off the bench for the last 20, 30 minutes, yeah, it's kind of like a... A deadly ordeal, but yeah, I'll go with four one. What the hell? It's Thursday. Let's do it. So hopefully Monday we'll be back with the regular crew talking about that four one win. Uh, maybe we'll keep it clean sheet, but I think Scott makes a good point with so five. many changes. I can see something, <laughs> and if it is five, I'm gonna bring you on definitely as a guest speaker on Monday just to make predictions for like the national games or something like that. So maybe the just... lottery numbers. How about that? Or, or, yeah, I, maybe I could just I'll just come in and go. I win. Gentlemen, thanks a lot. And all those listening, commenting, thanks as always. Do the like and all that kind of stuff. Scott is out of wine anyway, so we got to wrap it up over here. I'm going to need more. Open up another bottle. (laughs) Thanks, everybody, and see you guys Monday. See you later, Reds. Take it easy.